as we give God praise in the sanctuary. I also want to give God thanks for our singers and our musicians. Can we give God some praise? Some of you who may not be musically inclined, or let me say this, some of you who are musically inclined may have noticed that we didn't have anyone playing keys today. Well, we got a call earlier this morning that the gentleman who was going to come and play keys for us could not come and play keys. So therefore, these musicians adjusted midstream this morning, and uh, Bryce on the guitar, and my brother on the bass, Kyle on the drums, they made it work. So we thank God, because we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Wow, this past week was a wonderful week. Um, I went to a luncheon on Thursday that was led by our own Clifton Harris. Clifton is the CEO and president of the Urban League of Middle Tennessee. And there were hundreds of people um, in this hotel room. Uh, which hotel was it again, Clifton? The Grand Hyatt. The Grand Hyatt and uh, a room full of African-American entrepreneurs, businessmen and women, leaders, all kinds of ministers. It was amazing. And um, to know that my brother, my friend, is serving the community in that capacity. A lot of good works are being done by the Urban League. And so I want to thank God for Brother Clifton. Man, I was so proud of you on Sunday. Let me tell y'all. He had the mayor there. He sat me at a table with one of our uh, United States representatives to Congress. And I was also next to a millionaire. He, he said, I was right in between both of them. And I was like, what is Clifton trying to say? You know, but man, what, what an amazing, amazing time. Um, if you're looking for a place to serve, get a hold of Clifton because the Urban League um, definitely could use you. They work with young people all the way up to adults. Again, about community transformation, one life at a time. And then uh, Thursday night, I went to a concert. I went to a concert of Michael Hicks, who normally plays keys with us. And he also had another one of our keyboard players, Tyre Sass, in the band. And man, this brother had a concert of concerts at this place called The Analog at the Hutton Hotel. I don't normally get out to spots like that, but I tell you, it was nice, warm, cozy. This man put together uh, an orchestra. He had a string section with violinists. He had a, a, a horn section with sax and trumpet. Then he had a funky band. It was diverse ethnically. It was an amazing night. So God has blessed us um, to be able to sit at the feet of so many gifted people in this body. So I give it up for my brother, Mike Hicks. And he and many of our other musicians are back out on the road, starting to slowly get back out. I said last week that many of our people play for uh, various bands, uh, mainstream Christian uh, bands who are, very, who are national artists. And so once again, we need you to help us. We want to have your name. Lasagna wants to have access to your name if you play uh, well, if you're skillful. Uh, <laughs> we want to be able to call on you. <laughs> and, uh, and then this week, I got some news, and I need to read this to make sure that I get it right. Aya Jace 
Lurtius, who was born on February 14th to Harold and Jamie Lurtius. She left the NICU and came home on Friday and slept in her own bassinet in her home. Now, that's good news. Oh, man. Let's see, Aya was born uh, seven pounds, 11.5 ounces, and her name means leader. Aya means leader. And Jace means the Lord is my healer, the Lord is my salvation. And this little baby went from an APGAR score of one out of six. Now, I don't know what that means, but I'm told that's not good. She went from one out of six to resuscitation. Um, from doctors and nurses not knowing what to do as she had a seizure at birth. She went to uh, undergoing brain scans, labs, EEGs, chest x-rays, echo, lumbar punctures, MRIs, swallow studies, and ENT scopes. She went from having seizures to now being seizure-free. She went from being oxygen-dependent to now breathing on her own. So hallelujah, salvation and glory. <laughs> hallelujah. He's still a healer. He's still a healer. And as Dr. Jewell said, um, we all come with various issues and challenges and traumas. God uses those things not to break us, but to build us, to make us more dependent on him. Because everything is about a testing of our faith about whether or not we will trust God or not, whether or not we believe that, whether or not what he says is yes and amen, if it's true, he's a good God. And so whatever you're going through, I pray that you'll be strong. Let me pray for the word. Father God, I come today to teach your people. That doesn't mean that they're not learning, but Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing the word, not having heard it. We have to hear it and hear it and hear it over and over again that we might grow in our faith and be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making that happen, that you're transforming us from glory to glory. So, Father God, help me teach. This is your will. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't call me to entertain. Thank you, Lord, that you called me to reflect your glory today, not to try to stand in place of your glory. So Jesus, use me. Teach me as I'm teaching. Help us to have a good time today. Thank you for how you're working in this church. We thank you for how you're working in churches in this neighborhood, in this community, in this county, in this city, in this state, in this country, and churches all across the world. And yes, Father, this morning we do pray for the believers, the unbelievers in Ukraine who are standing in front of church, uh, uh, tanks who are trying to evacuate the city, uh, people who are concerned about their little ones. Lord, we remember them this morning, and we ask that you would be a shield about them. Lord, we don't always understand your ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we do know, Lord, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Today, we're closer to your return or our going to you. And so, Lord, with that, that gives us hope. Give hope to the people. And also, Lord, put down evil in Jesus' name. Stop Vladimir Putin in his tracks. Convict his heart. Thank you for Russians standing up, saying that they 
detest what is going on towards their neighbors in Ukraine. Lord, I thank you that as the world is watching, I pray, Lord, that we'll also keep our eyes on you. Help people like me, ministers, pastors, teachers, to bring people to Jesus and not just to political pundits. Help us to dig into your word and realize again, you are coming. Help me teach your word now. We give you the glory for what is going to be accomplished. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 68? Psalm 68. And I'll read verse 31 of Psalm 68. It says that envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. So in our series this morning, Unwrapping Black Presence in the Bible, I'd like to entitle this message, The Gift of Black Worship. The Gift of Black Worship. For anyone that's tempted to change the station on me to tune me out, just hang in there because this title has bearings from the verse that I just read. Psalm 68 has been described as the most difficult psalm of the 150 psalms to interpret, Psalm 68. A psalm that I selected for the sermon calendar probably two months ago or more. That today would be the day we would land on Psalm 68. A psalm that not only speaks of worship, but a psalm that speaks of international turmoil and war. Because God knew we would need a word today because of the world in which we live. Psalm 68 was written by King David, the great king and worshiper of Israel. And he wrote this psalm, this song, after he had been able to conquer Jerusalem and take it away from the Jebusites. You see, as David became king, he wanted to have a capital city. And he saw this place that the Jebusites, um, a form of the Philistines or the Canaanites, occupied. This story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And so David was able to capture this stronghold, this city, this mountainous city, he captured it from the Jebusites and called it the city of David, Mount Zion, or Jerusalem. And so he's writing, talking about that experience of what happened back then, of how he was able to capture Mount Zion. But this psalm is not only historic looking back, it's also prophetic looking forward as he talks about the king of kings coming to Mount Zion, coming to Jerusalem in order to reign and rule there. So he's looking back and he's looking forward. This psalm is historic and it is prophetic, speaking of future events. Is anybody looking for Jesus to come? Oh, oh he's coming, he's coming. But what the psalm also does is that it highlight, highlights two African nations. 
Ethiopia, and Egypt. Highlights of all the nations that the Spirit of the Lord could have encouraged or inspired David to write about, he writes about two Hamitic or African countries. And in this psalm, these two countries teach us about worship. In this psalm, Psalm 68, Egyptians and Ethiopians, also known as Cushites, teach us about worship. So the first thing I want you to see is that there's the historic occupation of Jerusalem, and then secondly, the prophetic occupation of Jerusalem. Let's move quickly. Under the historic occupation of Jerusalem, this can be found in verses 1 through 23 of Psalm 68, the historic occupation of Jerusalem. And if you are on our email list, I sent these notes out to you yesterday um, so that you could read up before we met up so that together all of us could get caught up in the word. I think I'm going to do that every week. I'm going to send it out just so that you know where we're going. If you want to pray and meditate, study on your own so that when we get together, the connection is even stronger. And so the historic occupation of Jerusalem. You see, King David captures Mount Zion, as I mentioned, which is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. And then he, the ark of God enters Mount Zion. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So once he gets the city, he wants the ark of God in the city. Why? Because the ark of God represents the presence of God among the people of God. And with the presence of God, watch this, there comes the power of God. And so he wanted the ark of the covenant, which was a box made of wood covered with gold. And on the top of the box was a hood, or what has also been known as the, the mercy seat. And that was also made of gold. And there were two angels, or seraphim, with their wings stretched out towards one another on this hood, which sat on the box. And once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies, sprinkle blood from a lamb on the mercy seat on the day of atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. So this ark, again, it represented the presence of God amongst the people, which is why it was set apart behind the veil. So David, he made it a priority, unlike Saul, he made it a priority to have the presence of God as a part of his reign and regime. So he brings the ark of God into Jerusalem. First time he did it, he did it wrong and somebody died. But then he went to the Bible and said, this is the way to do it. And they did it right. And they had a party celebrating as the ark of God came into the city of David. But this ark also represents a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ uh, is God in flesh. Flesh, human flesh, covered with the gold of deity, if you will. And he is the power of God in flesh. And John 1.14 says that Jesus tabernacled among us, and that's where the ark of the Lord would sit in the tabernacle until it was placed inside of the temple. But when we come to Psalm 68, this ark is in a, uh, a, a tent, if you will, on David's property. So he built a tent for it until the tabernacle would be made and the temple would be made. This is what David did. So this Art represents the presence of God, and it's a picture of Jesus. And it says 
in this psalm that many are fleeing from the Lord. You see, verse 1, he quotes from Numbers chapter 10 where he talks about, O Lord, may you arise and your enemies be scattered. Because when Moses was marching with that same ark in the wilderness towards the promised land, fighting various nations along the way, the ark of God would go before them. And so the enemies of God would scatter. They would flee. Ultimately, they would be defeated. So David is quoting from Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, because he says that God's enemies would be scattered in verse 1. He says it again in verse 21 about these enemies scattering. And the thing about scattering, this word is found three times in this psalm about the enemies of God scattering or fleeing from the presence and the power of God. They couldn't stand up to God. And so Israel knew that their victory came from God. So God went before them. David said, I got to have that ark with me. Scatter, scatter, scatter. Um, can I go back real quick to where I grew up in Baltimore? Uh, and it may remind some of you where you grew up. Um, at night, we would come home from a movie or something. This is one of my first houses in Baltimore City. And uh, had a little insect problem. But you people from Strong Tower, you understand that. Uh, had a little insect problem. And, and we would come home. I know some of y'all don't understand this. We would come home and flip the light switch and roaches would be scattering and scurrying. My brothers and I, we loved it because we would just start popping them, you know, without shoot, pop, 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 pop. Now somebody said, we ain't eating over past this house. That was back then, y'all, okay? <laughs> they scattered because of the light. And the presence of God was light and power, and the enemy would scatter. Not only would the enemy scatter, the wicked would scatter, verse 2. Kings of armies would scatter, verses 12 and 14. And the rebellious would scatter, verse 18. But who would come to God? He has multiple names in this psalm. He's called Elohim. He's called Adonai. He's called Yahweh. Uh, who's going to come? If folks are scattering, thank God, some of us are able to come. Verse 3 says the righteous come to Yah, which is short for Yahweh. The fatherless come to Yah, verse 5. The fatherless, who are they? They are orphans. The widows come to Yah, in verse 5. The solitary that is, the lonely are able to come to Yah, verse 6. And those who are bound, that is, those who are prisoners, whether prisoners of war or prisoners of sin, they are able to come, verse 6, to Yah, the great liberator. And then verse 10 tells us that the poor come. And so there is a group that flees from Yah. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. They flee from Yah, but also Yah has this way of drawing in the broken, the defenseless, the fatherless, the poor. And I just want to know before I go to the second point, uh, which group do you identify with? Uh, are you one of the enemies of God? That you're running from God? That you want nothing to do with God? And you're rebellious, you're living life your way. 
I'm here to let you know there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death and destruction. You need to stop running from God and run to God and be a friend of God, be a child of God, be a daughter of God, be a son of God. I know what side I'm on. I'm with that group, that, that broken, busted, and disgusted group. Because when you look at the group, they're all scrubs. The fatherless, the widows, the lonely, the bound, or the prisoners, the poor. In other words, we're not bringing anything to the table but our brokenness and our just need for grace. He picks up scrubs. Why? Because he's the star of the squad. Remember when you would pick teams? In the hood or whatever, growing up, you start off, give me so-and-so, give me so You get the people with the best talent first. And then the ones with less talent or no talent would uh, uh, just be picked to make the team even. That's how you got to play. And so God starts off because there is no one who qualifies in his presence to be on his squad. But when you can say, I'm sick, the Lord can come and bring healing. When you can say, I'm poor in spirit, the Lord can come and fill your poor spirit up. But if you act like you the man, if you act like you don't need God, if you act independent of God, you're going to scatter from the holiness of God. And so we're on his team by the grace of God. But secondly and finally, there's this prophetic occupation of Jerusalem. We saw the historic occupation when David brought the ark into Jerusalem and he danced before the Lord and there was great celebration because they were recognizing that it wasn't so much that God was on their side no they were on the side of God and David says the ark is a game changer in my reign the ark is a game changer but it's also a picture of not so much the ark but of the one the ark represents Jesus Christ who is coming again, who is coming to Jerusalem, who will come to this earth again. As sure as he was born the first time, he will return the second time. And so this looks at King Jesus, how he returns to Mount Zion. That's found in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Mount Zion is in Jerusalem. Jesus will not only return to earth visibly where every eye will see him. But the Bible says in Zechariah, when he comes from heaven, his foot will touch the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will split in half. Jesus is coming again. Revelation 19 verses 11 talks about how heaven was opened and this great army came and Jesus rode on a white horse and there were many crowns on his head and we are following behind him. He is coming again. Psalm 68 verse 24 says, They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. So that's what David is speaking prophetically. It's one thing when he talks about when he became king. It's one thing when he talks about the ark coming into Jerusalem under his rule. But he's looking forward to when God comes and occupies the sanctuary, which means, those of you who love eschatology or the doctrine of end times, the temple which was destroyed in A.D. 70, which Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that temple is going to be rebuilt at some point. It's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, and Jesus will come and occupy that sanctuary. 
Another thing, King Jesus reigns from Mount Zion. So when he comes, he will reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 says that Jesus will reign on this earth for 1,000 years. That is why I am not afraid thinking that this world will end in nuclear annihilation. Man didn't make this world, and man doesn't have the authority to destroy this world. Uh, God is going to destroy this world uh, himself and create a new one. But Jesus is going to reign on this earth, according to Revelation, for 1,000 years. And when he reigns, he will be seated upon David's throne, Israel's greatest king. Because God made a covenant with David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Well, we know that couldn't have been Solomon. Who was God talking about? He was talking about his son, who was a descendant of David, i.e. the son of David. Jesus will sit on David's throne for a thousand years on this earth. Does anybody still, are you excited? Do you say, Jesus, come quickly. I want to see the Lord. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Oh, so who's going to flee when Jesus reigns for 1,000 years? Psalm 68, 30 says, scatter the peoples who delight in war. So when Jesus reigns, the nations or the peoples will be scattered who delight in war. Remember during Moses' leadership and David's reign, the ark would go out and enemies would be defeated. Well, the one who is the full fulfillment of the ark will be seated in Jerusalem in the sanctuary on David's throne and enemies will scatter from before him. Nations who love war. And this is why this encourages me right now. Because although I don't know what's going on completely in Ukraine, I know what the end going to be. I don't know what's going on fully. It's politics. War is a bunch of mess. Prideful men who make decisions but who never fight. But this brother from Ukraine, he letting it be known. I'm not afraid. I'm not running. I'm not going anywhere. And he is out there visible as a servant leader. Not saying he's perfect. Not trying to make him righteous. I'm just saying this is a good leader. And Putin is an evil man. He's a bully. This is about his pride. But the people of Ukraine are saying, no, no, no. You thought you could just say yield and we would yield. But no, we're fighting. I don't know what is going to happen with this. I know a lot of us are concerned about gas prices, but folks are concerned about their lives at other places around the world. But we trust God during this time. So just as those, there will be those who scatter on the earth with Jesus, there will be those who come to King Jesus and Psalm 68, 31 tells us, says, envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out our hands to God. So think futuristically. Think in times. There will be nations that will scatter because of Christ, and there will be nations who will come. And of all the nations that David chose, he chose two Hamitic nations that go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 10. So... <laughs> Uh, Mizraim, which is Egypt, Cush, which is Ethiopia, two of Ham's sons. We see them represented in the latter day when Jesus will stand on the earth, according to the book of Job, when he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth in the latter day, and there will be nations that will come to him. And David highlights two 
African nations who will worship. And when they come, they will teach the world how to worship. Because worship involves at least three things. At least three things. Number one, worship is going to involve tribute or money. Money. You can't worship God without money. Hang on in there. But also it's going to involve praise and adoration when they come to King Jesus. And it's also going to involve submission. So worship, real worship, true worship, biblical worship involves money, it involves praise, it involves submission. Let's go back to the text here. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Egypt is in Africa. Amen. I've been trying to say that every week because we have been conditioned to think that Egypt is separate from Africa. But if you go to your globe, if you go on your phone and look up the continent of Africa, you will see Egypt is on the continent of Africa, meaning that Egyptians are Africans. They're not Americans. They're not Europeans. They are Africans. We got to take these truths back. And so Egypt will bring tribute because it says envoys will come from Egypt. An envoy is an emissary. An envoy is a uh, diplomat, an ambassador, a foreign minister. That's what an envoy is. An envoy is someone who comes from one country to another country as a foreign minister, as a diplomat, coming. But here's the thing about envoys. Envoys usually come with convoys. A convoy is a shipment, a caravan, or, or in our day and time, it, it's a truckload. Uh, uh, Brother DeRegis, he, he's always driving this convoy with things in the truck, taking it from this state to another state. The truck is loaded down. And when these emissaries, these envoys would go to foreign kings in that day, they would not come empty-handed. They would come with a convoy or they would come with tribute. Can I take you to the child Jesus? When the child Jesus was in uh, Bethlehem, and the Bible talks about how the wise men from the east came, bearing gifts with them. So they were envoys coming from a foreign country, but they had a convoy, which means they probably traveled in a caravan of camels loaded down with all these spices, the gold, everything. Why? Because it's disrespectful to come before a king empty-handed. Did you hear that? It's disrespectful to come before a king empty-handed. In order to honor the king, you bring honorable gifts. So they were bringing to baby Jesus, King Jesus, gifts worthy of a king, their best offering. So when these envoys with convoys would come out of Egypt to King Jesus in the final day, they were bringing tribute. They were bringing money. The verse before says they would bring silver because you don't come before a king empty-handed. That's disrespectful. Over in 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba comes before King Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 10. And she's an African queen. And she heard about this man with all this wisdom. And she had to come from whatever African nation she was from, 
But Sheba can be traced to Genesis chapter 10 as one of the descendants of Ham. She's a woman of color, an African woman coming to this Hebrew man saying, I heard it, but I got to see it. She comes. And the Bible says when she comes to see Solomon, she's bringing gold and all of these gifts and spices with him. Because in that time, you don't come to a king without a gift. And she comes and gives Solomon all these gifts. And she says, I heard it, but what I have seen, man, it overrides everything that I heard. What I heard can't even tell the half of what I'm seeing in Solomon's kingdom. And if that's a man who gets that kind of glory, what about the God-man, Jesus Christ? His thing, no, his thing, no. Some of us, Sunday in and Sunday out, keep coming before Jesus in his house with no offering whatsoever. When he's the one that allows you to make the money that you have. But you don't want to give the apple back to him. You're going to eat the apple and give him the leftovers. That's disrespectful to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Give him your best, the first fruits that you have in his house. But here's the beautiful thing, y'all. Queen of Sheba gave him a bunch of stuff. But verse 10 and verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 10 says that when she left his presence, she left with more presents than she brought to him. In other words, he gave her a gift back in return. And the gift he gave her was more than what she gave him. Why? Because a king is not going to let you outgive him. Because that'll dishonor him. So if you give him a million, he's giving you 10. Because you're going to go back, not talking about the gift you gave him, but all the gifts he gave you. That's why you can't beat God giving. We don't give to get, but when we give, we get. So you got to check your heart. Man, I'm blessed today because of God's grace and because I give. My family, we give. And Kirk Whalem used to describe it as a shovel. You know, I'm trying to shovel what I have into the kingdom of God where, where rust and moth can't corrupt. I'm trying to shovel what I have into the kingdom of God. And God shovels back to me what I need in order to live for him in this life. And the thing is, God's shovel is bigger than my shovel. Because he's the king, man. But another thing that these African countries teach you about worship, not only must we come with gifts, we should also come with praise because Ethiopia will soon stretch her hands to God. The Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Some of us will not be biblical because we're too traditional. I'm going to say that again. God says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless him. Lifting hands is not just for the charismatic cousins in the body of Christ. It's for all of God's people who know that Yah is God and we lift our hands to him in the sanctuary. Because if he said lift them in the street, some of us would be like, oh no, I don't know about that. We can't even lift them in the sanctuary though. Because some of us are too prideful. And that's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 8, I want the men to lift up holy hands. Because if men can lift up holy hands, men can humble themselves before God, then it matriculates over to the children, to the wife, to others. When men can humble themselves before God and lift their hands. Because by the way, men lift them at other stuff. 
sporting events. I was at the Music City Miracle when Kevin Dyson ran that thing back. I was there. And that stadium erupted. I'm here to tell you, folks were jumping, shouting, lifting hands, clapping. They didn't need a worship leader to tell them what to do. They just did it because they were happy. They were shouting the victory, which is what two hands up also means. When you get some a Music City miracle, I'm talking about a miracle at Calvary when Jesus died for my sins and got up on the third day. And you mean to tell me I can't lift my hands? But we lift them when we get good news. Man, you just got to raise. Are you serious? I got to raise. Uh-uh. Mr. Williamson, y'all having another baby? What? Wait a minute. Hold on. Now what? But good news makes you lift your hands. And God is saying, Ethiopia teaches us how to worship. They come before God with outstretched hands. But in America, we're so wealthy. We're so independent. We're so smart. We're so wise that we can't or we won't lift our hands. Somebody says, well, that's just not what I do. It don't take all that. Well... Remember that woman in Luke 7 who came where Jesus was at the Pharisee's house and she came and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. And, 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 and the Pharisee's like, who, who this woman here? Don't he know that this is a sinful woman? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, uh, let me talk to you, homeboy. When I came in here, man, you, you, you didn't give me any water for my hands, my head. You, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me the customary Eastern greeting because you don't respect me. But this woman, ever since I've been here, she's been at my feet. Man, man, this woman is worshiping. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. So she worships much. She loves much. And so as we get in this, I'm praying that God will give us a revival of worship in this church. That coming up this summer, we'll do some Wednesday worship nights and we'll just come in here and let's worship together. Let's give God praise. Let's stop and testify of his goodness in the house. But let me move on. I got to go. This verse is also translated in the New International Version as Ethiopia will submit herself to God. So New King James, King James says that uh, Ethiopia will lift hands. NIV says submit Pastor, what's going on with that? Well, as the translators of the NIV looked at the Hebrew, they came away with submit, which is also an act of worship. Hang with me. There's a transition here. Because when one would come before a king, hands would be lifted. Gifts would come as well. Hands would be lifted. But then those hands would go down like this in submission to that king. <laughs> so Ethiopia will submit, meaning that hands will go not only up, but down in submission to this king. And what would happen is while those hands were down, instructions would be given so that the worshiper would hear the instruction while prostrate, get up and live accordingly to what was instructed. They would be obedient coming out of submission. You see, a lot of us say, oh yeah, yeah, we like to worship, jump, shout and all that stuff. But it's not about how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you come down. Because don't nobody want to hear you giving God praise and living foul. 
We want to know, man, is the praise showing up in submission in your life in obedience to God? And so the Ethiopians show us how to work because if there is no submission, there will be no obedience. If there is no obedience, it's because there is no submission. Somebody said, oh, the Africans are speaking to me this morning. I'm strong on the praise. I'm even strong on some areas of submission, but that tribute piece, my game is weak. If my checkbook had to testify about my giving to show my love for God this morning, my checkbook wouldn't have nothing to say. My tax returns ain't going to have nothing to say about how I gave to God at Strong Tower Bible Church, how I gave to other ministries to serve the people who are in need in our communities. So some of us say, man, my giving is strong, but your praise is weak. My giving is strong, but your submission and your obedience is weak. But man, I want to go three for three. I want all three in my worship game. And it's the Africans that teach us this. So Psalm 68, it's a psalm that looks back. And it's a psalm that looks forward. It looks back to when David brought the ark into the city and the enemies of God were scattered. And it looks forward to when the true ark the Son of God will come into the city and nations will be scattered and many nations will also come to him with gifts, with hands lifted, and even in submission to this great king named Jesus. We sang the song, hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty. Yes, the Lord our God is omnipotent. The Lord our God, he is wonderful. Would you stand with me for prayer? Sister Sydney, as you come and close us, again, let's keep the nation of Ukraine in our prayers. May we not be afraid. As I see the church in Ukraine and even in Russia they're standing boldly singing praises to God because anybody can praise them when everything is good but they're praising God their faith is not only holding them but it's showing the world that Jesus is real